0: What are some of the craziest things that people have asked for?
1: You know, somebody asked for six Red Bulls every single day on their trip in Bhutan. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, I'm not booking the trip unless you can guarantee this. There were no Red Bulls in Bhutan at the time, and we figured it out. (laughs) Those are personal touches. We've had uh, private meetings with the Dalai Lama in certain cases. It takes us a lot of work sometimes to arrange it, but it's ultimately worth it.
0: Welcome to How To, I'm Charles Duhigg. You might remember me as the first host of How To, and I'm also the author of a few books, including The Power of Habit, and a book that's coming out in February called Super Communicators, How to Unlock the Secret Language of Connection. And I'm back today to bring you a special episode on how to travel like a pro. No matter if you're backpacking on a budget or planning a family vacation or checking off that bucket list adventure, we've got tips for making your next travel experience incredible. Our tour guide is Brady Binstadt. He's the CEO of Geo Expeditions or GeoX, an adventure travel company famous for trips that can take you almost anywhere. And though he literally has been around the world, what's interesting is that he didn't catch the travel bug until adulthood.
1: What really kind of transformed my travel life was uh, about a year and a half in southern Chile and backpacking around South America in my early 20s. A particular highlight for me was probably about two months backpacking in Bolivia. You know, I probably spent $500 in two months, maybe. And it was just a tremendous sense of place and adventure and not having a timetable, which is a huge luxury, and not knowing what the next day is going to bring.
0: I mean... There's a reason those kinds of immersive experiences are often touted as life-changing. My wife and I, in fact, back when we were dating, actually lived in Egypt after college. And we spent six months backpacking across the Middle East, going to Syria and Lebanon and Israel and Turkey. Well, those adventures and adventures in general are amazing, they're not always glamorous.
1: One that I really can picture in every detail now is... Probably a bus ride, which was advertised as 12 hours and ended up being about triple on a lovely highway called the Camino del Muerte, the highway of of death. After I got finished with my bus ride, I got to a hostel that was probably about $2 a night and I noticed footprints all over the wall and I thought that was curious, but I was tired. So I went to bed and woke up in the middle of the night, grabbed my sandal because something was itching me and turned on my headlamp and there were probably 50 spiders in my my room. And so I I immediately took my shoe and started hitting the wall and I was like, oh, okay, that's why all the footprints were there. Right. So (laughs) (laughs) Bolivia is wonderful. One of my favorite places on the planet, (laughs) to be honest, despite those stories.
0: It's true that sometimes the uncomfortable moments make the best stories later. But if you're going to spend your hard earned time and money on adventure, you should probably plan to make the most of it. And that's what we're going to help you with today. So grab your passports, your journal and something to write with, because after the break, we have got a trip to plan. Before we jump in, why should we travel? Or let me put it this way, why have an adventure? It's pretty easy to go to Disneyland or to go to some all-inclusive resort. Why do something that's a little bit more exotic?
1: You know, I'm guilty of this myself. I live in a little bit of a bubble when I'm at home. The more that you can escape that and appreciate all that the world has to offer, I think the, the richer your life
0: will be. When you think about building an adventure for someone what separates just kind of your your mundane relaxing vacation from an adventure
1: there's comfort in planning kind of the big pillars of a trip so uh flights accommodations the very basic pieces and then adventure is maybe having a little bit of uh, time intentionally built in where you don't know what's going to happen maybe you've researched the place but you don't know what it feels like or smells like. And you just kind of go off on your own. One of my favorite things to do when I arrive, especially like in a big city after a long international flight, is just to go for a walk or a run in the morning kind of as as the city is waking up. And that's not on any itinerary. That's just something I like to do to get, get a feel, get my bearings in the city. You know, adventure has a different definition for everybody. Some people are jumping off cliffs, some people are are trying a new food.
0: So it's just a sort of a tolerance. I am guilty of this. When I plan our family vacations, I like plan it down to the last minute. But I think you're exactly right that it allows for the unknown. And to do that, you have to have both the time in your itinerary and the willingness to plunge into something without knowing whether it's going to be great or terrible or somewhere in between.
1: It is sometimes challenging in this day and age to convince people that it's okay to have an empty day or an empty morning on your itinerary prior to you leave. But almost inevitably when they come back, they're like, thank you for giving me that free day in Cape town to explore on my own. It was, it was a highlight.
0: Okay. So that's a great tip. Always plan free time. So you have space for spontaneity. But before we jump to building our itinerary, we first need to pick a destination and that all starts with a question.
1: This sounds very elementary, but it's it's a really important question that I don't think everybody asks themselves is, why am I going on the trip?
0: I love that you said, you know, thinking about the why. Are you traveling because you want to experience another culture? Are you traveling because you want to get closer to the people that you're traveling with? Are you traveling just because you're looking for something unknown? You don't know exactly what you're seeking. And, and it could be a combination of all of them.
1: The catalyst for the trip, I think, is sometimes not how the trip actually shapes out. In the first conversation, people say, I want to go to Morocco for the cuisine. They end up coming back and inevitably saying it was about the people. And yeah. so the more open you can be about a conversation about why you want to go on a trip, the better we can, we can make it for you.
0: That's really interesting. And probably having that conversation with yourself and with your your traveling companions or your spouse, figuring out, like, why do we actually want to do this? I, me and my family went to Japan last summer. The, this was the first sort of big international trip with our kids. I thought initially it was because we wanted to learn about Japan, but then I realized, no, it's because I want to experience, like, something that feels so different with my children, where none of us are experts and all of us are are amateurs, and we're uncertain, and we don't know exactly how to deal with everything, we're on this even level, and and we get to share it together.
1: And I'm not sure there's a better spot on the planet, it, or certainly maybe not in <laughs> Asia for that. And I mean, Japan is so wonderful. I went there with my son when he was uh, maybe six years old. Uh, I think it's just a perfect combination of exotic and reliable. It seems so obvious, but a lot of people just say, I've heard of, that a lot of my friends went to Peru, so I'm gonna go there. But I think it's worth yeah. a moment to say, why? Why am I making that effort you know, at any budget? Why am I spending 10 or 14 days in Peru? What is it that I wanna see? And the answer might might surprise you in some cases, but I think the more personal you can make travel by asking that question, what's the catalyst, why are you going, Um, the the better off your trip will be. It's worth the effort in advance to think about it.
0: To reiterate, the most important part of your trip happens before you even get on the plane. And it consists of asking yourself questions and doing some research. Choose where you wanna go based on your why, and keep that why in the front of your mind as you plan. Then the next questions you need to consider are, when are you going and how much do you wanna spend? And for that, we're gonna break the next section into three categories. Budget travel, family vacations, and once-in-a-lifetime trips.
1: Flights and hotels are typically the the largest expenses. So if you're comfortable with a a long layover, sometimes even an awkwardly long, or or an awkward time of day, but you might save $100, $200 for a budget traveler on a 10-day trip, that's a lot of money. Um, And and kind of the same thing with hotels. Maybe you're 15 blocks away from the center of the city instead of two blocks, and you can manage a 20-minute walk every day to get into the the action.
0: This is absolutely true. Flights and hotels are often the biggest budget items. So here's a few more things to consider. First, be mindful of when you're traveling. Can you avoid major holidays? That'll probably open up a lot of cheaper options. Have you considered the so-called shoulder season? Lots of places have a slow season when the weather's bad and it's cheaper for reasons you might not want to actually take advantage of. But if you look between the high season and the slow season, the shoulder season, that's when prices are lower and the weather is usually still okay. Second, lots of airlines and hotels have reward systems. So look into programs where you can use points to reduce your price. Third, when you're choosing a hotel, Ask yourself, will I actually use all of these amenities? If it has a free breakfast, that's great because it's one less meal to have to pay for. But there's no point in splurging for the fancy pool if you're not gonna swim. Finally, make sure you're watching for hidden expenses like resort fees or parking fees. Those little things can add up quickly.
1: There are ways to cut corners on cost without compromising the overall quality of your trip. I I, I talked a little bit about flights and hotels, but maybe even when you're in a destination, have local places to eat that might save you five or $10 a day for the budget traveler, that's a lot of money. So doing research on the kinds of places like that that are less expensive, but still a great cultural or cuisine addition to the trip, I think that's
0: that's worth it. That makes sense. Okay. So let's talk about the family traveler then. My kids are 12 and 15. You know, traveling with children can be different because their their willingness to absorb some of that discomfort is l- sometimes lower and sometimes higher than mine. When we're thinking about a family vacation, how should we think about it differently?
1: Good question. My kids are roughly the same age. They're 11 and 13 and we went to the Galapagos for spring break so um and, and in advance of that the question i asked myself and them was does it appeal to everybody on the trip and that doesn't mean every activity every day has to appeal to everybody from you know 8 years old to 85 years old but i i think that it's important that there's kind of a collective buy in about yes this is going to be a perfect destination for our family and why and is it the right pace In our case, the Galapagos was so wonderful because it was a variety of activities. Every day was either kayaking or surfing or hiking or snorkeling, uh, and it never felt like we were repeating ourselves. I think that's super important for kids in kind of that age range in particular. And like I mentioned a little bit ago, don't overplan the trip. As tempting as it might be to make it look good on paper, the reality in the field is that, you know, you, you get tired and you actually... Are, are all better off if you have a couple hours of downtime every day.
0: Yeah. So, so what I hear you saying is when it comes to families, there's kind of these two things to think about that you might not think about otherwise. The first is variety, right? That you want different kinds of activities because you're, you're trying to appeal to different people and people who have different capacities. And so the more variety you have, the, the more you're going to find something that, that one person's going to love. But second of all, You know, my instinct is always to jam pack every single day. And, but you're exactly right. I found that with my kids, if I do jam pack and I'm doing it for them, right? I want them to see everything and experience everything. And at the end of the day, they're just grumpy and upset and they don't, they didn't enjoy it at all. But that giving ourselves and giving our kids and giving our families the gift of a little bit of downtime to help us acclimate and to help us process and so that we're not exhausted and feel like our our dad is marching us across Tokyo all day long (laughs) that that makes a big difference downtime is a luxury and and I encourage people to add
1: even an empty day I made the mistake on that trip to Japan with my son that I mentioned of planning something for 10 a.m. the day after we got there and we're both of us were totally jet lagged and it was just a, it was a fail. Uh, and I, you know, yeah. and I haven't done that since. And in fact, I've done the opposite, which is uh, even to Ecuador, which is certainly not as long of a flight. Um, the, the following morning, I said, we're, we're doing nothing. We're just hanging out at the hotel, having breakfast, swimming in the pool. We'll, we'll start our touring that afternoon. Just have a, a day to get acclimated. I think that's really important. And to do that maybe every five or six days on a trip.
0: I wish i had had this conversation before we went to Japan because I did the exact same thing. We got in like on a Monday and I made a uh, like 9.30 a.m. reservation on Tuesday and literally the children were zombies. (laughs) Here's a few more tips for family travelers, most of which you probably know if you're a parent. The first is flying can be super stressful with little ones. So get to the airport early so you're not stressed in security and, and take advantage of the family boarding time. This, in fact, is one of the best perks of having young children, is you get to get on the plane before everyone else. Also, always bring snacks and activities for the plane. And don't feel bad about screen time while you're traveling. It's, it's totally fine. Finally, plan downtime and active time so that your kids can get their energy out. Local playgrounds are overlooked cultural experiences, and they're spaces where your kid can be a kid, which can be hard to find when you're traveling. While we're on that, let me ask you about jet lag, because one of the things that I think everyone struggles with is trying to figure out how do I minimize jet lag? How do I overcome jet lag? How do I think about jet lag in my kids and myself? What tips do you give people?
1: It's different for every person and certainly depending on kind of where your flight's going. For me, uh, I try to stay up until dinner time at least. And just take it easy for a day or two, and not not try to overdo myself. Sleep when you when you can. Drink lots of water. I think that makes a huge difference on on flights and on your first day or two in a destination.
0: Okay, well, that's great. Let me ask you about experts. So so one option is to work with you guys, which is fantastic. To work with professionals who are helping design it. I know that sometimes also for kind of uh, big trips, like when I went to Japan, I I basically just kind of planned it on my own. And one of the things that I ran into was trying to figure out who to trust online. I could never figure out like, you know, were these real reviews or not real reviews? And then I would look for locals, blogs to try and give me some advice, but it was unclear which of them were were recommending things because they got paid to recommend them and which were doing it genuinely. How do you think about this when you're planning trips for areas that that you don't have first-hand experience in, or when folks come to you and they say, like, who should I trust to give me advice? What do you tell them?
1: I put it into two categories. I think for informational websites, an airline, a hotel, something like that, you can trust the specific website. When you get into more restaurants or maybe opinions on hotels, the tendency is to give reviews when things don't go well rather than when they do. If you want to find out something good, you might have to dig a little bit more. So I think to go up to a handful of review-type sites and just get a balanced approach, I think that talking to people, talking to friends in your community, travel advisors who have who have been there, I think makes a tremendous difference. difference. That's not always... An option, but I think that the more you can do that and get a personalized report, the better.
0: This is like the one time in my life I've found Facebook to be useful. But whenever I'm about to go on a big trip, I'll always just paste on Facebook Hey, I'm going to this place. Does anyone have any suggestions? And just get like so delightfully overwhelmed with people who, who say you should go to this restaurant or this hotel was better than I thought it was going to be. And it's, and it's just so nice to have a personal recommendation from someone who's actually verified something. Absolutely. Okay, we're gonna pause for a quick layover, but when we come back, we're gonna talk about bucket list destinations and if it's worth it to book with a travel agent. So don't fly away. We're back and continuing our conversation with Brady Binstadt, CEO of the adventure travel company, Geo Expeditions. So we've talked about the budget traveler. We've talked about the family traveler. Okay. So now let's talk about the folks that you often work with, which is the once in a lifetime traveler. Like I am doing this trip that I've dreamed about for years.
1: Yeah. It's it's pretty fun to To plan the trips for sure. We see couples, we see families, we see multi-generational families. We just had a family of 22 people come back from a two-week safari in Southern Africa. In in one of the initial conversations, the the grandparents who were hosting everybody were, were hesitant on the cost, rightfully so. They're taking 22 people. But once they let go of that a little bit because they were able to I think the planning took a whole different turn and we added some charter flights which for a group that size doesn't add a tremendous cost to the trip um, we added a lot of insider access with with guides and special meals and you know special uh dance performances birthday celebrations there are very few people who go to africa multiple times or to patagonia multiple times um, so it, the little splurge from what you think you can spend to a little bit more does make a big difference just in the quality of the experience. So.
0: so when I was a kid, it was pretty typical to plan a trip with the help of a travel agent. And then then the internet came along and that kind of changed things. How should they think about that? Is is it really expensive or is it something that's not expensive? W- when is it appropriate?
1: So I, I think um, for GeoX in particular, we, we add the biggest value in places that um, you, the traveler, perceive as maybe a little bit tricky to do on your own. The flights, the mm. uncertainty of the hotels, the transport, the, uh, the geography, the political uh, stability, any of those things, or all of those things in some cases, the more complicated it is to go on your own, the greater value we typically bring.
0: Travel agents or tour companies can provide a lot of stability and and peace of mind, but it can be expensive. And if that's not on your budget, that's fine, because there's lots of other tools that can help you make a trip feel secure. For listeners in the United States, the State Department has a program called STEP that sends out travel advisories. In addition, it's often really useful to contact your bank so that they know that you're going abroad and won't cut off your credit cards. One thing that I do, for instance, is I take a photo on my phone of every single credit card that I have, as well as my passport, so that if they get stolen, I know who to call right away to cancel them or what to do in order to get replacements. There's a ton of nitty gritty tips, but the most important thing to remember is to do the same security checks and vetting that you would at home. When people come to you and they're asking for that advice, and they're talking about should I go to Hawaii, should I go to Kyoto, which has like a really great infrastructure, or should I go to Botswana, where where it's a little bit off the beaten path? How do you help them think that through?
1: Every single day, we have somebody call us and say, "Hi, I have a couple of weeks available in June. Where should I go?" Uh, and the conversation starts that open ended, and those are usually pretty meaningful conversations. I think because We, we ask a handful of questions about, you know, what is it that you want? Do you want cuisine? Do you want exotic? Do you want a luxury hotel? Do you want wildlife? What are the, what are the pieces that are interesting to you? What's the, what's the season like in, in all of the destinations around the world where we travel? Do you want to go to the Taj Mahal or would you like to push it a little bit and maybe go to Bhutan or push it even more and go to Eastern Bhutan? Where's your comfort level? And, then from there, are you okay pushing it a little bit beyond that? Yeah. And that little moment right there when we say, how about instead of India, you consider a few days in Pakistan? And the reaction that we get from people is either no chance or yes, that is why I'm calling you. Um, <laughs> and And both of those answers are okay. But I think that the more that you can go with the with the former with the pushing yourself a little bit and doesn't have to be pakistan but maybe it's instead of just kyoto maybe you go to a little part of western japan where we where we do some trips or to shikoku island or something like that a little more off the beaten path even just for part of your trip just to push your own comfort level a little bit knowing that you're in our hands with a you know great local guide and that those are often the the best memories the ones that we where the traveler pushes themselves beyond what they might have initially thought was possible when they made the first call to you.
0: I think that's right. I think that's right. I I find that so much of travel is emotional, that what I I remember is often how I feel in places and and that being surprised or, or something unexpected or this unexpected moment with my kids where we both feel something, that that's what I end up carrying away we've talked a little bit about the fact that we don't want to jam too much into each day. We want to have some downtime, particularly if we're with kids. We want to allow ourselves to get over jet lag if that's an issue. But when you think about how to plan the balance of activity and relaxation or or just thinking about each day, what what's occurring to you that, that might not be obvious to the amateur?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's a combination of things. I look at it as a whole trip. So what's the, how do I Keep variety in in the whole trip in a, in a place like um, uh, South Africa. You, you're able to include a safari, a city portion, usually in Cape Town, and maybe Victoria Falls. So that that variety right there, just by pure value of the destination, uh, keeps most people interested every day. Yeah, but in a particular day, I think it's it's important to. To have an idea of what you want to do, being pretty sure that if you if you're in a destination for ten days, odds are something along the way is not going to go perfectly to plan. Right. Um, and so t- to to be able to be resilient about that, and to know that you know if you miss an activity or if you have, what what one thing I really um, struggle with, especially when I'm traveling with kids, is if you're out the entire day, you leave it after breakfast at eight in the morning and you get back at four forty-five, and there's a dinner at five o'clock. That's, that's stressful. That's not fun for me. Yeah. I, I st- even if it's just an hour of time that you have to kind of decompress, get changed for, for dinner, I, uh, maybe take a quick dip in the pool wherever you are. I think that little moment of time right there is really critical to the overall enjoyment of the trip. And I think it's something that people often overlook is that little, that kind of moment right
0: there. I totally agree. One of the things that I've tried to do, and I've learned this the hard way, is that for each day in the itinerary of a trip, I'll try and choose one big thing to do and one small thing to do. And that's pretty much it. And I found that by doing that, it gives each day a shape. It makes it easy to get get the day started and get out of the hotel. But it also means we have enough space to allow the unexpected to happen. Because otherwise, we're jumping the cab. We're rushing from this place to that place. We have a, a reservation that we have to meet. But that by... But allowing ourselves to kind of have one big pillar and one small thing, and if the small thing doesn't happen, that's okay, that that allows us to wander down side alleys and to figure out things that we might not have known to figure out before we arrived. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think that the cadence of a trip, and and I like that idea of having kind of one big activity. And another thing I'd say is that, and and this might seem obvious, but is talking about it the day before, with your travel companions, with your, whoever oh, it that's is, a good idea. whoever it is, yeah. your, your spouse, your parents, your kids, everybody talk about it at dinner. Uh, if your, if your guides there even better, cause your guide might say, um, you know what, if that, that restaurant's great, I've heard a lot about it, but here's one that my, my friend just opened up and it's, uh, just as good. And there aren't any tourists there. Or he might say, learn about something about you by listening to your family, talk about the, what you want to do the next day, um, and then yeah. be able to incorporate that into the trip somehow.
0: If we are looking for that once-in-a-lifetime or that at the once-this-decade trip, what are some of the most underrated destinations or activities that that might not be on people's radars?
1: I'll name some countries, but I'd also often encourage people to dig a little bit deeper into maybe a more popular destination. I hinted at that that a little bit ago about Japan, but, um, what, what's another example? Let's say, uh, maybe Egypt or, or Mexico or Peru, um, in Peru, 99% of our travelers go to Cusco, the sacred Valley and Machu Picchu. And it's a wonderful, uh, memorable trip for sure. If they go to the Coca Canyon or Lake Titicaca or, Ha- add an extra day in Lima if they're really into cuisine and do a, a cooking class or something like that. Those are the moments so to 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 see a, a more uh, kind of mainstream international adventure destination a little yeah. bit differently. I think that's one really wonderful approach. And then in terms of destinations, my answer changes a little bit every year, to be honest, kind of depending on what's what's going on in the world. But for me right now, Algeria, we're. Oh wow! I think Bhutan has is, is, has always been kind of our unofficial flagship destination. We've we've done trips there for about thirty eight years. Maybe you can compare Algeria a little bit to Egypt, a little bit to Morocco, just as kind of close geographically. But you, we've had travelers go there for a couple of weeks and barely see other tourists, which huh. uh, you know has its advantages, of course. So. And to go to Bhutan at the right time as well. Maybe you want to go to a festival, sure, but maybe go in the off season when there's nobody there, uh, and you get yeah. a really special experience with all the, the locals, or have, have just have more time and
0: to kind of open their doors to you. So where are you going next? Like, what's on your travel bucket list that uh, I've, that's exciting to you?
1: I've I've got a good year coming up. I'm I'm yeah pretty fortunate. Um, I'm uh, in about a month or so. I'm going with my sister to uh, about a week in southern uh, Patagonia, which is one of my favorite spots. And then we're going to Antarctica for my first trip there. I've spent a lot of time in South America, but never made the jump across the Drake Passage to Antarctica. So that'll be a great week. And then later in the year, in September, I'm going to Morocco and probably Egypt. I haven't totally planned it out yet. Um, but probably Egypt and a little bit of Jordan.
0: Oh, wow. That sounds amazing. Can't complain. And is there any place that let that is your, the place you haven't gotten a chance to go, but you're like someday that's where I'm going to go. Uh, there, I hope
1: the answer is always yes. There are a lot of those places. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a really big world. That sounds a little cliche maybe, but I think there are so many places that I haven't been. Um, yeah, let's see. I have been to India, but it's a, uh, a huge country that I'd love to explore more. Um, and, uh, Sri Lanka comes to mind, Papua New Guinea, uh, and I actually haven't traveled a lot in Southern Africa. I've been to East Africa a couple of times, but I haven't traveled a lot in Southern Africa. So I'd love to do that with my kids uh, in a couple of years.
0: And and one last question, which is, if there's one thing that you wanted listeners to take away from this conversation, like, like what would it be? What's What's the big piece of advice?
1: You hit on it in your very first question, which is to think about why you're traveling, to go beyond your comfort zone and inevitably... It makes you again a little bit cliche. It makes you a better global citizen if you know not just what's going on next door or in your neighborhood or in your town, but in a you know in a in a little village in Nepal, yeah, uh, and you understand their their culture, their religion, their their daily life. you'll never have a shortage of places to explore if the if the passion is there in your mind. And the more that we can get out and explore, uh, it has wonderful implications for the world, in my opinion. It's amazing how often the, the, the governments get in the way. And when you're sitting face-to-face with somebody in a certain country, the, the commonalities and the differences are what I often remember the most.
0: Well, I hope you've been inspired to dust off your luggage and renew your passport. Travel can be such an enriching experience and incredibly rejuvenating, but it helps if you plan in advance and then you improvise a little bit once you're there. We would love to know what adventures you are thinking about this year and to hear about your best travel hacks. Drop us a line at 646-495-4001 or send a digital postcard to howto at slate.com, and we may feature your tips on a future show. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. That helps us help more people. How to's executive producer is Derek John. Joel Meyer is our senior editor. This show is produced by Rosemary Belson with Kevin Bendis. Merritt Jacob is senior technical director. Carvel Wallace and Courtney Martin host our show, and we'll be back soon. And I'm Charles Duhigg. Thanks for listening.